Okay. This is a sikhan from Likutei Sikhas Chelikhaf, the 20th book of Likutei Sikhas, the Sikha of Vayeshev, the fourth Sikha of Vayeshev, and it's Hanukkah. Oh, sorry, that's not, not book 20, it's book 15, Chelik Tesvav. Thank you for reminding me. We got number one here? Paragraph number one. So I'm going to be paraphrasing the Yiddish, but it's pretty much translated in the English translation. In the explanation of the verse that says that when the brothers sold Yeh through Yosef into the pit, that says, and the pit was empty, there was no water there. So we find the Gemara says in the topic where it speaks about Hanukkah, Gemara says that Omar of um, Kana, of Kana said that. And it was said in the name of Rav Nosen, the son of Binyumi, in the same of Rav Tanchum. What does it mean when it says, the pit was empty, there's no water in it? From the fact that it says it was empty, don't I know there was no water? I mean, if it's empty, there's no water. So why does the Pasuk have a redundancy seemingly? It says the pit was empty, there was no water in it. The redundancy is not a redundancy, says Rav Nosen, Rav Kana. It's to tell us, Mayim Einboy, there's no water in it. It's empty of water, but it's not empty of Nechoshim Akrabim Yeshbo. There are snakes and scorpions in there. So it seems that the Gemara is saying that, um, uh, oh, very important, it's today, right? This topic in the Gemara is bought, is, 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 is uh, quoted. In continuation to the topic that started in that, on those pages of the Gemara, we're talking about the tractate of Shabbos, the Meseches of Shabbos, page 22, in that area it speaks about Hanukkah. So why is this teaching spoken about in the topic of Hanukkah? Well, the simple reason is because the same individual, the same um, co uh, collection of individuals, Rav Kana, who expounded in the name of Rav Nosen, the son of Binyumi, in the name of Rav Tanchum, he also taught the law about Hanukkah that preceded this. So now that we brought, very often in the Gemara, once a teaching has been brought in the name of somebody, then a subsequent teaching, even if it's unrelated by its topic, but if it's the same person or the same group of people, so the Talmud will allow itself to be led to another topic if it was also said by those same people, by way of, of connection. So that's a simple reason why this seemingly unrelated to Hanukkah concept about the empty pit, it being empty only of water, but it having snakes and scorpions, that's why it appears here in the topic of Hanukkah, just because they are said by the same person who said the statement of Hanukkah. However, one would understand that there's got to also be a deeper connection, especially that the uh, Shalah, Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz, author of the book called Shalah, Shnei Luchot Habrit, he writes in the beginning of our parsha Vayeshev that these portions in the Torah, Vayeshev and Miketz and Vayigash, have a connection to Hanukkah. So therefore, the verse where it says that the pit was empty, there was no water, is in this Pasuk Vayeshev, in the portion of Vayeshev. Vayeshev is, is read during the time of Hanukkah. What's the connection with the empty pit that had no water? 
which appears in a parsha connected to Hanukkah and appears in the Talmud subsequent to a teaching about Hanukkah where the topic of Hanukkah is to be found. Obviously, this teaching about the pit being empty, empty only of water, but having snakes and scorpions has some kind of relation with Hanukkah. What in the world would that relationship be? It doesn't. Uh, you have the oil in the pit. That's only in Saudi Arabia. But then... I understand, but ah, you're saying that like the pit was empty, they didn't have here, there doesn't have oil. Okay, interesting. We're going to go on a bit of a different uh, a different path here. Paragraph two. I say, just say, water is tater. Ain't mayim ela tater. There is nothing that's really considered water other than tater. In other words, allegorically, water and tater are consistent with each other. So from this we understand that in the Torah, when it says water in the Torah, so of course it physically means the pit was empty, there was no water to drink. But there's also a deeper allegorical meaning, which means that it was bereft of Torah. So he's saying like this, and there's a Medrash that actually translates it this way. He says that the pit was empty. This refers to the children of Yaakov. Yaakov's pit, in other words, Yaakov's children had become bereft of water, bereft of Torah. They acted in a non-Torah way. They sold their brother down the tubes or whatever, down the uh, down the river without a paddle. But they sold them to the Egyptians and so on. So that's also the inner re reading of this statement of our sages that there's no water, but there's snakes and scorpions because... In human experience, when a person is in a situation that there's no Torah in his life, automatically his mind becomes filled with snakes and scorpions. In other words, there's no place in between either having Torah in your mind or negativity in your mind. It's not possible to have a mind empty of Torah and somehow full with just mediocre or... or, or um, mundane um, somebody is um, some people like to remain impartial or uh, neutral the mind cannot just be neutral the mind is either filled with Torah or automatically it absorbs and engages itself with things that are the opposite of holiness like the Baal Shem Tev taught this is a radical interpretation the Baal Shem Tov says. On the passage that we say every day, a few times a day in the Shema, we say, V'sartem v'avadetem. The passage reads, Yishamur lachem, beware lest you don't listen to Hashem, and you turn away and you serve foreign idols. And the Baal Shem Tov says, when a person turns away from Hashem, immediately he becomes idolatrous. There's nothing in between. So, based on that, we cannot, we're, we're about uh -huh. to ask about that. But that's the premise the Balshantov teaches. You move away from God, you didn't just become oh, part of a guy, okay. You're not, not good, not bad. No, immediately that moves you into a state of being idolatrous. You become negative immediately. So from this will be the same concept we're talking here about okay. no water, but snakes and scorpions. If there's no water, then immediately the brain will become full of negativity. That's why the Medrash brings these two teachings in one continuum. One teaching is really hinged and explains the other one. In other words, it says 
that there was no water, but there's snakes and scorpions. You know why? Because there's no water. The the, the uh, water, which is Torah, was was moved out of the children of Yaakov immediately. Negativity crept into them. Paragraph three. We could ask a question to this. When the Baal Shem Tov said that he translates the Pasuk, that you will, you will turn away and go and worship other idols. Look, there the Pasuk is talking about the connection and the cleaving of Jews to Hashem. So we understand that the moment the, 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 the Shema starts like this, love Hashem, and then it says, and if you listen to the mitzvahs, and you go and follow all the commandments, I'll give you the rain in the proper time, I'll do you all good things, beware lest you don't do that, and you turn away from Hashem. So he's just been talking about being the connection to Hashem, the cleaving to Hashem. Moving away from that, we understand is the opposite of serving Hashem. So we understand how turning away from Hashem in Shema, the way it's described in Shema, is a moving away from the requirements of serving Hashem that the Shema elicits within us to be cleaving to Hashem, to be serving Hashem, to be worshiping Hashem. But in our case... We're not saying, we're not talking about connection to Hashem. We're saying the mind is not full of Torah. Who said that by default that means it's full of stupidity? Maybe, it, maybe it's full of uh, computer science. Maybe Who said it's full of, who said it's, it's automatically going to be connected with negativity? In other words, can't we say that either the mind is full of Torah or full of negativity? regular stuff or full of negativity this the reading that way we're reading the pit is empty there's no torah which is the pit is empty no torah and not just no water automatically if there's no water snakes snakes and scorpions who said why isn't why can't we say there's an in-between stage also we have to understand the fact that yosef's brother sold him is because they claimed that according to torah he needed to be killed why they claimed that he was conniving and contriving against them to have them killed. The, the reports he's giving his father will cause their father to kill them. So they say they have to save their lives. They claim that they have a Torah reason to sell him, or to kill him. It's a stretch, but they're coming from a position that they're not saying we're empty of Torah. Why does the why does the uh, why when there's a plan to kill Yosef, does the Medrash say that the pit of Yosef, of Yaakov, in other words, the children of Yaakov have been emptied of their connection to Torah? They weren't they weren't empty of Torah. Maybe you could say they misunderstood and they mis, mis misinterpreted, but their connection to Torah was in their mind strong. It's not like all of a sudden they've now become bereft and disattached to Torah. Paragraph 4. So let's take a deeper look at the why water and Torah are correlated. The Torah is connected. Why is the Torah connected to water? And now we come to the oil. Torah is also connected to bread, to wine, and to oil. Each of those analogies for Torah, bread, wine, and oil, refers and highlights another part of Torah. In other words, we say, why is the Torah? But when it comes to water... About water, the sages say, why is the Torah compared to water? Just to give a little, little background. So let's say the water is like, uh, Torah is compared to bread, because just like bread comes into your body and it sustains you, Torah comes into a Jew and spiritually sustains you. 
Why is Torah like wine? Because just like the wine is exciting, it's good taste, it's a robust, uh, good taste. There's parts of Torah which are the deeper aspects of Torah, which bring a lot of uh, a lot of uh, inspiration and are very uh, um, almost heady. They make you almost giddy with 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 beautiful information, joyous things. Well, oil, because just like oil floats to the top always, so the deeper interpretations of Torah are always floating on the top, or the just like oil seeps through everything. Oil has a tendency to be metapeia. It, it seeps through everything it, it, it comes into contact with. That's why an oil stain is definitely difficult to get rid of. Similarly, Torah seeps through a person in a very deep way. But the Torah is also connected compared to water. Why is it compared to water? So I say, just tell us. Tell us, just like the waters leave the high space and go to the low space, you know, the water, there's a... Uh, there's a rule of physics with water that water will go trickle down. Um, similarly, Torah cannot be kept. Torah cannot be truly um, present in a person long term unless he is a lowly spirit. In other words, unless he has humility. In other words, Torah is not really a good analogy for the essential, uh, um, for the essential makeup of Torah. It's one aspect of Torah, and that is that Torah refers to the humility that a person needs to have when studying Torah. Once we said that the Torah denotes a state of, of, of mind, state of being that one has to have when learning Torah to be able to succeed in Torah, we'll understand why the Medrash says that the pit of Yaakov was empty. In other words, the children of Yaakov didn't have any Torah in them because their Torah was they, they had Torah and they made a logical conclusion from Torah to kill Yosef but what they were lacking is was the water aspect of Torah in other words they did not have the humility that was expected of them that would have made them into humble people and they wouldn't have come to do what they did to Yosef as we understand now what Rebbe is pointing out here that the greater you are, the more humility is expected of you. In other words, the children of Yaakov may have not been arrogant if measured against regular people. But when measured against the expectation of people of their stature, they were to be found lacking in their trade of humility. There's a similar concept um, that we know we bow down four times during the Amida, during the Shemona Esrei. Twice at the beginning, twice at the end. The, the king, when a king says the Amida, he bows the entire Amida. The reason for a king bowing the entire Amida is because he's at such a state of greatness that we anticipate from him to also have a more heightened sense of humility. That's what's expected of him. So their humility level was non-water-like in their relationship to Torah. Okay, we understand that. Maybe they're lacking humility, but why do we say that when there's no water, there's immediately snakes and scorpions? So you're saying he learns Torah, but not with humility, but why does that turn into something poisonous? So we still have to understand there's something about the Torah we're saying that either you learn it with humility or <clears throat> not just is it not the best, but it actually turns into a as poisonous as a snake and a scorpion. Paragraph 5. So the explanation is like this. The experience of learning Torah is really centered on one thing. 
connecting to the giver of the Torah. What's the exercise of learning Torah? It's not about creating a nation of whiz kids that the Talmud has honed their intellect to the point that they can, you know, build new apps. That's nice. But the purpose of Torah is that a Jew should be able to connect his mind to Hashem. And that's why, if, we can, if the main thing is to connect to the giver of the Torah, to connect to Hashem who's embedded within the Torah, <clears throat> it's not that being humble when learning Torah is a nice thing. It's a requirement. It's a central requirement. Because if a person is not humble, if a person retains their own ego-filled identity, so then they are limited with the limitations of being a created being, and they won't be able to truly bond and connect with Hashem who gives the Torah, who's an infinite being. In order to allow that connection, that seamless connection with Hashem, the giver of the Torah, who's infinite, a person has to take away his restrictions, his boundaries, his own ego um, definition of himself, and he has to be in a very humble and even bitle, even a state where he's subsumed, so to speak, to God. His, 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 his personality is... Um, <laughs> Is, is, is placed aside in order to connect in a wholesome way to Hashem. And once he's able to leave his own restrictions and limitations and definitions, he's going to be able to connect to the limitlessness of Hashem in his Torah. Ah, now we understand why at the end of every Amida we say something cryptic. Before we go three steps back, right before that we say, Almighty God, my soul should be like dust. In other words, I should be really humble. And then the immediate continuation of that verse is, Open my heart in your Torah. What? We're asking Hashem to open our hearts in Torah. That means we need to have a good, you need to have a good mind, a sound mind, a deep intellect to understand Torah probably. So how am I, to have a sound mind and a deep intellect, you need to have an identity. You need to have a strong identity. So how are we saying, God, I want to understand your Torah. Make me nothing like dust. And then my heart will be opened up to Torah. That seems to be, seems to be a, a, a paradox. If you want to have a good understanding of Torah, you should have a, a strong personality. But what the answer here is, if you want Hashem to open your heart in your Torah, in other words, in Hashem's Torah, if you want to be a receptacle to Hashem's teaching, which is unlimited, you need to be able to put your own self on the side. Not just stam bitl, not just being, so to speak, uh, uh, Nullified. Why does he translate bittle in English? Yeah? Uh, he uses bittle. He doesn't. He doesn't yeah. Italics. Not just being oh, bittle, in other words. Negation and nullification. Negation and nullification of self, but even more than that, not just a standard negation, but to be like dirt for everyone. Just like dirt that everybody treads on. Only through that kind of bittle can a person become fitting to receive Hashem's Torah. 
because he needs Hashem to come into him. It means he has to really create a sense of lack of ego. And then once Hashem comes into him, in other words, once he's kind of selfless and 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 and, and incorporating Hashem into him, now when he works hard with his own mind, he's going to be able to bring Hashem into him and take Hashem, understand Hashem's Torah with a with a depth and with an inwardness. But so Torah is very different than any other. Any other form of study, any other form of study, there's no requirement to be humble. There's no requirement to put yourself on the side. You can be a, an arrogant person and study very well. Torah, because the whole objective of study of Torah is connection with the divine, the divine abhors and moves aside when there's arrogance, when there's presence of something outside of him. For the divine to rest, you need bitl, you need subservience, you need self-nullification. Chapter paragraph six. And I will understand a wondrous thing which is poses a big question in a way. We find that by study Torah, there's an important aspect of Torah to speak the words of Torah, not just understand, but also to actually say the words. Why? To the contrary, to, to the point, the extent that the, the law is somebody who only thinks, I'm a harder and If somebody's only thinking Torah, technically he doesn't have to make the blessing of the Torah. When we wake up in the morning, one of the blessings that we make every morning is Baruch Hashem thanking Hashem for the gift of studying Torah. Just like before you drink a cup of water, you thank Hashem for the water. Before you partake of Torah, you have to thank Hashem for Torah. That's only when you speak Torah. If you uh, look at water, you don't have to make a bracha. And if you only thought Torah, you don't need to make a bracha. Why is that? Because thinking is not the same as speaking. And what a person studies only by thought, and he's able to speak it, because he's in a place where you're allowed to speak Torah, and he doesn't speak it, he hasn't fulfilled his obligation that says, you shall study Torah. More than that, can, the understanding of Torah is somehow also connected with the speech of Torah. Our sages tell us, Our sages expound and say that the Torah is life for those that enunciate the Torah with their mouth. And the, the, our sages also expound the verse that if the Torah is arucha, if the Torah somehow becomes uh, arucha, arranged in the 248 limbs, then it has a longevity. Then it stays guarded in the person. If not, it doesn't stay. It, it, it uh, skips away from the person, slips away from the person. So the Chayra, we have to understand when somebody's speaking words of Torah, we're talking here about Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah. The law is if somebody speaks oral Torah verbally but does not understand what he's saying, it's not considered learning Torah at all. In other words, the written Torah, because every word is direct from Hashem and divine, if you say those words without understanding a thing you're saying, you've fulfilled your obligation you're engaged in learning Torah. 
if you take the Talmud or some other aspect of Torah, which is oral Torah, it's all about the content. The words are the words are also important, but less important. It's mainly about the content. But if you read it without understanding it, and it's the oral Torah, you haven't fulfilled your obligation to study at all. It's not studying. It's just reading empty words because you don't understand them. In other words, when it comes to oral Torah, the main thing is understanding. So if the main thing is understanding, why do we say we have to also enunciate it? To the point where we say that if you don't enunciate oral Torah, even Talmud, whatever it is, you don't have to say the blessing of the Torah. And we say if you don't enunciate it, it's not really going to be kept by you with a permanence. But the main, the main thing is understanding. Because if you don't understand it, you just said it's nothing. So if the main thing is understanding, why the importance of saying? <clears throat> Paragraph 7, so the explanation of this is the main aspect of Torah is the connection that you make with the giver of the Torah, with Hashem. That's why the study also has to be in a way that the understanding of the Torah is not limited to the way it is in a person's understanding, but it needs to be the way Hashem expresses the understanding. Which means that it's not enough to feel humble only when you start learning Torah. But the learning itself needs to be in a way where you are self-nullified. That's why the learning has to be in a way where you enunciate it with the mouth and it even gets arranged and felt in all of your 248 limbs. You kind of, you live it. Why? Because when a Jew learns Torah only with his intellectual prowess and skills, intellect is the highest part of the human. You know, there's nobody, none of the other creations of the universe have this gift of intellect that the human has. So when he uses, when he exercises his intellectual intellectuality, that's really where he remains an identity, a strong identity as a person. And because of that strength of identity, he's not going to be able to absorb the Torah of Hashem. No room for Hashem to come in. And it's, we can learn it how much more so from a elephant going into the eye of a needle. Look, an elephant is limited, but there's no way it can get through the eye of a needle. It's limited, but it's vastly bigger than the eye of the needle. It can't it's so it's so ridiculous to even think that a, a elephant can go in the eye of a needle that a person wouldn't even dream about it because people don't dream about things that are impossible. Again, there's a little little stipulation here. If somebody does think about it during the day, he may be able to dream about it by night. But in, in general, this is not something that's so upgefrekt, it's so uh, um, not possible, so impossible, even in a dream it wouldn't come. So that's just a an elephant in the eye of a needle. Can you imagine the Torah, which is connected with Hashem, who's infinite, it says about the Torah that Hashem pleasures in the Torah. Hashem delights in the Torah. Hashem's essence enjoys the Torah. It's the ultimate of infinity. So for sure it can't come into the intellect of a person. And that's why it doesn't stay long if it's only in the intellect. As the Gemara says, that there was a Talmud, a student who learned in a very quiet way, so it wasn't like, totally pulsating through him, he forgot his learning. So what happens when you 
So what changes when you say Torah? This is not the case when a person connects his learning with his mouth, or even lower than that, with his whole, with his whole body. Those things are lower than intellect. They don't come to express and highlight the advantage of the person, of the human. In other words, he studies in a simple way where in a way he descends from his intellectualism and starts doing it in mouth and in his movements of his 248 limbs. In that way, he's not paying attention to his own supreme identity as an intellectual human being. He's allowing it to come in a more animalistic uh, um, way through his mouth, through his body movements. So now he's Hashem's able to more easily connect to the person. So the experience of studying Torah can now be a more godly experience because the human has somewhat stepped down off his pedestal of his intellectualism. But on the other hand, he still has to use his intellectual faculties to then strive in Torah. So it's a subtle point there. Paragraph 8, according to this, we'll understand why we say if there's no water, there's snakes and scorpions. Which meant, right, if, if a person has a Torah, he has, in his mind, he has automatically negativity. Why? Again, let's go back to the rule. The rule is that the main beauty and the main achievement of studying Torah is the connection with Hashem who gives the Torah. The connection to Hashem is achieved through self-nullification of the learner. So therefore, there's no room for an intermediate, for a, like a neutral area. Either you're subservient to connect it to the giver of the Torah, and then you will learn Torah according to the truth of Torah, the way Hashem wants you to learn Torah, and he'll allow you to get it right, to, to understand what he wants. Or, God forbid, if you're not like water, in other words, if you're not humble, so you're not connected to Hashem who gives the Torah. Even less connected to Hashem than the impossibility of an elephant going through the eye of a needle. So if that's the case, when you don't have the humility, you're not connected to Hashem. It's like turning away from Hashem. Immediately you're plunged into the opposite, serving idols. Immediately, if you're not humble and getting Hashem into you, not just you're not connected to Torah and you remain neutral. Like it says, our sages tell us, Torah is not to be found by arrogant people. But more than that, you become in a position, an opposition to holiness. As our sages tell us, you know, the thing is, Hashem says, I can't live with you in the same place. It's either me or you. So if you're arrogant, I'm out of here. There's even those that translate the word ego with a acronym, edging God out. There's no room for both of us. So you move away from Hashem. If there's no water, there's no humility, you're studying Torah without humility, it's becoming snakes and scorpions. It's, almost, it's like you're idolatrous. You're not letting Hashem in. And not letting Hashem in is not just okay. No, no, no. Not letting Hashem means, in means you're a renegade from Hashem. No, it's like idolatry. And this is what the Medrash also says about the brothers of Yosef. We said that the, the pit of Yaakov was emptied and that was the children of Yaakov had no Torah in them. It's not just, it's not that they were lacking Torah in terms of study or connection to Torah. No, they were studying Torah and coming to conclusion that they had to kill Yosef. We're saying, based on their, what we expected from them because of their stature, 
they didn't have the water of Torah. They didn't have humility, and that's why they went off. That's why they missed the point. Okay, so we talked about Yosef and his brothers, paragraph 9. All these stories tell us what happened to Yosef and his brothers. All of these things are an introduction to the subsequent exile in Egypt, right? Because, because of the story with the brothers of Yosef, he was sold to Egypt, and then the Jewish people went down to Egypt, and then there was a redemption from Egypt. What's the purpose of the, of the descent to Egypt and the redemption from Egypt? The receiving of the Torah. So, similarly, we talk about what we say about this pit, that it had no water, but it had snakes and scorpions. The Torah tells us in this parsha. so, because this parsha, this top, this detail is part of a story that leads to Egypt, take those from Egypt, and then brings us to Sinai to get the Torah. So this detail is relevant to the receiving of the Torah at Sinai by, by, by connection. How does this connect to the giving of the Torah at Sinai? Because the concept of the water of Torah, the humility and the self-nullification self, self to Torah really was achieved in its main, in its main state, in its main level at the giving of the Torah. Let's analyze the difference between the Torah the way it was studied by the forefathers, because we know the forefathers also had a tradition of studying Torah. And the way it was studied post-Sinai giving of the Torah. So when the forefathers studied, the study was with their own powers. In other words, they were deeply spiritual, highly intellectual. They understood Torah to the extent and the limitation that a created being is able to understand. What happened at the giving of the Torah is Hashem gave the Torah. He now bestowed upon the Jewish people a Torah, which is his Torah, something he takes delight in, and it's given by Hashem to every single Jew. As we know from the law that says, how do we know it's given to everyone? The law says that every Jew, every day, says the blessing, blessed are you, almighty God, king of the universe, who gives us the Torah. So obviously, Hashem at Mount of Sinai doesn't wait till we climb up and understand how much we can understand. He gave us the gift of His Torah. And this also explains to us why it says, our sages tell us, in the beginning, Moshe used to learn Torah and forget it. He used to constantly forget what he was learning till Moshe gave it to him, till Hashem gave it to him as a gift. What does that mean? Also, before the giving of the Torah, he learned Torah. We know throughout the history of our forefathers there was always a yeshiva. We wouldn't assume that they forgot everything. Because how can you have a yeshiva if everybody's forgetting everything? So why do we say that Moshe Rabbeinu forgot and the forefathers didn't? Well, well Moshe was a forgetful person. The explanation is that the learning before Mount Torah was the Torah the way it is in the realm of the created state of being. That's why created beings are able to study it and climb, before the giving of the Torah, they climbed the ladder of Torah. They understood, retained, moved up, got to a new level, understood, retained, moved up. When Hashem moved over from the bottom-up model to the top-down model, where He's giving the Torah something from His personal treasure place, so to speak, 
Now this is totally higher than the created state of being. A person would never come to that level of godliness the way Hashem presents it in the Torah that he hands down from above. So Moshe is trying to learn it as a mortal, but it's something godly. It doesn't stick. He keeps forgetting. He studies and he forgets. It doesn't get internalized. Ah, till Hashem gives it to him as a gift. Hashem, who's infinite, can do anything. He's able to join the impossible. You see, the Torah way it's given from Hashem is limitless, is infinite. The finite being that Moshe is trying to understand Torah doesn't stick because he's stuck with a finite a sense of, of of skills. Hashem is above finiteness and infinite infinity, and he can join the two. He gives the Torah the supernatural, so to speak, the infinite Torah to the finite being. And now, because he gives it also, when somebody gives a gift, they give it with generosity. So he gives he gives not because somebody paid full price and that's why he gives. No. He gives much more than could have been earned by the climb of the created beings upward to him. He gives much more. He gives something infinite and connects it to the finite creations that are receiving it. And this is something that happens with each and every Jew. The Torah of Hashem is given to him, the infinite nuclear Torah, so to speak, is given to him and, being, and able to be received and absorbed within him because Hashem gave it. On the other hand, even though the Jews receive Torah with the power of Hashem who gives the Torah, it's not automatic. The person has to move aside and not let his identity be stand in the way of Hashem flowing through his, Hashem's infiniteness of the Torah flowing through him as a finite being. Because Hashem doesn't want anything to happen automatically. There's a concept of work. There's a work ethic Hashem wants us to have. He doesn't want us to earn our bread, a bread of shame unearned. That's why Hashem has put embedded into creation that things need to happen through work. There's nothing in life that can happen without effort, without exertion, without work on some level, without initiation, because Hashem wants it that way. So even same thing with the Torah. We say Hashem gave us a Torah, but there needs to be a buy-in. The buy-in is that the person has to clear out his vessel to be something worthy, to be able to receive that infinity. And that is bittle. That is the subservience, the self-nullification that he has. Because that, that means he's leaving his own limitation, he's leaving his own definition to be able to be opened up to receive the infinity of Hashem. Paragraph 10. According to this, we'll also understand the connection between what the sages say there was no water, but there were snakes and scorpions with Hanukkah. Remember we said this has to somehow be connected to Hanukkah. First of all, in the Talmud, it's juxtaposed. It speaks about Hanukkah and then the same rabbi, but moves on to this talk about no water, but snakes and scorpions. And it's also in the Parshas that the Shalos says are talking about Hanukkah. What's the connection between what we're, between no water, but snakes and scorpions with Hanukkah? Ah, now we'll talk about a deeper understanding of Hanukkah. We know that when we look in the Vial Nisim, that we just started saying, it says in the back there in the days of Matisio, when the kingdom, when the wicked Greek kingdom 
stood up against the Jews to make them forget your Torah, God. So when the Greeks wanted to make the Jews forget, what did they want to make them forget? Torah secha. Look at that language. It doesn't say lashkicham Torah to make them forget Torah. Lashkicham Torah secha. The Greeks wanted them to forget your Torah, Hashem. It, did, it didn't bother them so much that they would be intellectually vested in the study of Jew, Judaic studies. What bothered them was that they should be connecting to some kind of otherworldly, your Torah, to the infinite Torah, the way they see it as coming from a divine, holy source. Not as being some kind of a uh, brilliantly written human treatise, Culturally Jewish, that would have been okay. They couldn't bear to, to see Jews being a supra-rationally, beyond rational connection to some kind of your Torah, to a godly Torah. That's why they were metame, they impurified all the oils in the Beis Amikdash. They didn't destroy them. They impurified them. Why? Because Shemen, oil, refers to the level of Chachma. Oil floats onto the top, so it's the first level. Chachma refers to a connection to Hashem that's beyond rationale. The Greeks also were in agreement. They, they would have been okay that there can be Chachma, there can be Shemen, there can be oil and study of Torah. They wanted it to be impure oil, God forbid. They didn't want it to be chokhmah, to be oil that's connected with holiness, with the, the holiness of the Torah, with the Shem who gives the Torah, Torah secha, your Torah. They, they were fine with the Jews maintaining culture. They weren't fine with the Jews maintaining their uh, uh, beyond intellectual connection to the divinity of the Torah. And that's one of the reasons why Hashem made a miracle that they should find one flask of pure oil. Now, technically, we know that when everybody is impure, the laws of impurity are relaxed in the Beis HaMikdash. If everybody's impure, you could have brought impure oil. So Hashem didn't have to make a miracle that they'll find one untouched vial of oil. But He did have to make that miracle. You know why? Because the whole victory of Hanukkah was in the purity was that Hashem says no I'm not gonna the Maccabees are fighting not to stay culturally Jewish but to say to stay steadfastly Jewish to say is to stay um, sacrificially Jewish even if it requires sacrifice beyond rationale as we have spoken earlier in other places about we spoke just here about the water if there's no water it's right away poisonous snakes because it's the water of Torah it's the, it's the self-nullification to the giving of the, the giver of the Torah which makes you stay true to the giver and no poisonous snakes can come in that's the same thing as Hanukkah that through kindling the light of Hanukkah which reminds us of the Shem and Torah the holy oil in the Beis Amikdash what happens is the feet of the rebels 
The word Tarmud, there was a group of people that was called Tarmud. They were living in, in Israel at the time. They were, they used to stay out late at night. So halachically, it says, how long can you light the menorah? We start lighting from when the sun goes down till the people called Tarmud, the Tarmuduic people, stop going around in the streets. By the way, the halach is, so long as there's people in the streets, you can still light the menorah. And in an extenuating circumstance, you can even light the whole night. But certainly till, till there's people in the street, well, it's pretty late. A place like Bangkok goes very, very late. You should try and do it as close to nightfall as possible. Of course, like any mitzvah, you don't you don't delay. But sometimes there are things that cause delay. You're busy, uh, you know, helping others uh, uh, like the menorah, whatever it is. Anyway, but the word that's used halachically till the people of Tarmud stop moving around is also an allegory that says the same letters as Tarmud is Moredes, which is the rebellious one. We light the candles of the menorah from when the sun goes down until we finish with the rebelliousness. In other words, so long as there isn't, when we don't have pure oil in its entirety, there still may be rebelliousness against God. In other words, it's not that lack of humility and you can stay neutral. Lack of humility means ego. Ego means edging God out. The Sartem says the Baal Shem Tov, when you turn away, you're immediately idolatrous because there, there's, in a, in, in, a, in a very radical sense, not connection to Hashem, self-identity in the place of Hashem is keeping Hashem out of you. And if Hashem is out of you, that's a form of idolatry. But through lighting the menorah, where's the menorah lit? Technically, the Gemara says we light it at the doorway outside. Once we moved into a place of exile, we light it inside. So either by the window, but if you're living higher than 10 meters, can't be by the window, it has to be by the door in your house. Chabad custom is, at any rate, in the door in the house, even if you have a window that's within 10 meters from the ground. But the concept is, you have to light up the outside. Because that's what helps to finish off the rebelliousness against God. Even if they're in the marketplace. Because the language of the halacha is, you can light the menorah till those people called uh, Tarmud are no longer walking around the marketplace. Marketplace? No. I don't think so. No. I'm not 100% sure. I don't think so. Um, I think there were a, a nation with it, living within the Jewish people, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I'm, I'm not conclusive on that. So marketplace is a place where there's disparity where there's there's it's not a place of unity it's not a, a you know a focused place so that represents a a, a world like a kind of a, a jungle like world where there's many opinions you don't have the unity of Hashem shining there and we finished even the the, the feet of the the last level of the rebelliousness is taken away through the kindling lights of menorah and that ultimately, means that the darkness of the exile is lit up, and that brings down the ultimate geula, the ultimate redemption. So the point being that the whole concept of Hanukkah is the attachment to the divine. The Greeks' battle was against the chukim, was against those mitzvahs that are not intelligible. It was against the Torah that the Jews learn as being connected to Hashem's Torah rather than being just a cultural Torah. Those are the things that 
are also represented by water. Water of Torah is the bitl, the, the, the self-nullification a Jew has to the giver of the Torah, which that was what the Greeks were fighting. They didn't want that. That's what the Maccabees were fighting for. So it connects with what's said in the Pasuk, that there was no water, but there was snakes and scorpions. And we say, if your mind is not connected to Hashem in a water way, in a bitl way, in a self-service, in a self-nullification way, then it's connected with the poisonous snakes. In other words, there's a self-identity, and with a self-identity, Hashem can come in. So here's to, um, yeah, a good Hanukkah, and study of Torah in a way of beetle, in a way of water. You shouldn't stay thirsty, drink a lot of water.